0: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. So J.M. Thompson was born in England. He holds a BA in English literature from Oxford University and a doctorate in clinical psychology. He completed his psychology training at the University of California, San Francisco, where he conducted research on the brain mechanisms of meditation and the physiology of trauma. He's also an ordained Zen practitioner and certified yoga teacher. He has finished over 40 ultramarathons and multiple solo adventure runs in the Sierra, in the Sierra Nevada, the Grand Canyon, and Death Valley. Thompson currently serves as a staff psychologist at the United States Department of Veterans Affairs He lives in San Francisco with his wife and two children. His memoir, Running is a Kind of Dreaming, became available for sale as of October 5th here in the United States. Welcome to the program, J.M. Thompson.
1: It's such a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I always like to say this is uh, this this program is about uncorking the stories behind the stories. And there's there's a lot of different moving pieces here that I want to ask about. But but the first question I always start off with is where where does your story begin? Um, you know, with regards to this memoir? Where where what's the genesis of it?
1: Well, you know, it's been a long time in the making. Maybe you hear this with other authors, but you know, I I first started to try and write a memoir uh, about 23, 24 years ago. Uh, in my, my mid to late 20s, I had had a, um, a breakup, my first sort of real romantic relationship. I was heartbroken. And um, I realized in the, in the midst of that kind of grief and heartbreak, that like, I, you know, I kind of don't really know who I am. Uh, and uh, I think that might be important information. And so in kind of instinctively, I, I kind of started to get up very early in the morning, and write down these very fragmentary memories of uh, what my childhood was, and the slightly terrifying thing was that you know it kind of didn't really make sense. It was just random fragments, some you know powerfully positive memories, uh, a whole crazy section of my teens that really didn't make any sense. And so I, I, I sort of became determined. Well, you know I'll I'll write this book and it will make sense of who I am. And I remember I saved up enough money for my job at the time to take, I think, three months off. And I thought, you know, three months, that's a long, that's enough time to write a book, right? And um, it turned out that it wasn't.
0: <laughs> that, you know, I'm shocked to hear that.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean, it went on from there. I mean, the the book really has been uh, 20 years in the making since then. So, you know, I, I didn't know it how you want to proceed from there, but it was yeah. in many iterations of of kind of trying to get a handle on how to tell that story.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm curious, this this, this notion of, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but kind of lost identity, kind of not knowing kind of who you were after this breakup. Mm. I mean, was this like, I mean, you mentioned it was your, your first love. I mean, it, did you think you know, this was the love of your life at that point in time?
1: I did, and it was because in hindsight, because I had been so um, traumatized when I was younger, my, my, you know, this is now getting into the story itself a little bit, but just to give some context, you know, I, I'd grown up with a, with a mom coping with bipolar disorder and psychosis uh, whose, whose mental illness became really acute in my early teens. So I, I lost her in a sense, but I didn't really process that as a grief when it occurred. Uh, I, I was desperately in need of of uh, love and nurture. Um, in college, I you know I found a a, a, um, a romantic partner, but I was you know somewhat somewhat like someone you kind of you know lost at sea without a life raft and just grabbing hold of of uh, of refuge and rescue. And and when I when that relationship ended relatively quickly, uh, I kind of um realized the the kind of scale of the the loss that I had experienced and even though I didn't really understand it it took 20 years to really un- unpack that it was the beginning of the insight like oh there was a a world prior to the unraveling of my not only my mother my both my parents a, a, a kind of lost world that I that I uh, that I I I feel kind of compelled to try and uh, re- excavate through writing and remembering.
0: So, so, the first step is to try and and write a memoir about this. Um, what was the 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 process though of uncovering the insights that you know what what really was at the root of this? It sounds like to me anyway was you know this this you know relationship with your mother and and how it was broken due to her um, you know psychological issues. And I know you mentioned your dad as well, but like what, at what part of the journey did did those light bulbs start going off for you?
1: Well, there there were several phases of this. So I, you know, I continued with that process of kind of trying to bring to mind consciously memories of what happened from, you know, the the earliest surfacing of conscious experience, age three through to my early adulthood um, for for several years and found that um, I was stuck in a kind of loop going around and round and round, thinking about the same memories that, and writing, I don't know, I must have written 75 drafts and um, couldn't finish. And, and it, in fact, that was, and, and then actually I gave up. I, I just like abandoned it, which was another loss of identity. I'd always had aspirations as a writer. It seemed as if, if I couldn't write this first book that seemed so central, I would never really accomplish anything. I sort of abandoned it out of um, sort of a sense that I'd exhausted every alternative, sought psychotherapy actually around my failure to write that original draft. And the, the question which, you know, the, this is in the book, the, the psychiatrist's first question is, I presented this very long and elaborate sort of narrative, not only about my life story, but about my attempts to sort of um, represent that in writing. And he said, well, you know, clearly you've, you've spent a lot of time thinking about these experiences, but I'm, I'm wondering how much time you've devoted to contemplating why it might be hard for you to let this stuff go. And I was like, what, you know, what, (laughs) why would I, what, what kind of a question is that? Why would I want to let go of this? And I realized that he was right, that I was, uh, and, and the reason why it was hard to let go of, and this is sort of fundamental i think to the nature of the topics described of trauma is that the events on an emotional level were all still happening i hadn't moved i had not moved forward from emotionally traumatic things that happened when i was 14 15 um, and, but for a long time i was powerless to extricate myself from that kind of spiral spiraling back on memories that i couldn't really remember um and uh, I had to actually take a, a long, long, long step away from all of that and really abandon any hope of finishing it. Um, I went through this, uh, you know, this sort of downward spiral into severe depression and addiction. That's what the book is about and became a, a runner. And it was through actually running um, through the, the, the dreamlike trances of running. that uh, something began to kind of shift psychologically that enabled me to kind of piece together the past. I, I started to write actually blog, random blog posts about running. It all, initially, it all seemed like, I'm just doing this new thing now. Um, I did that for quite a while. But then the next aha moment was like, hmm, what What if there's actually a, a through line here? What if I join the dots between the insights in running and this abandoned kind of seemingly hopeless um, sort of fragmentary manuscript about my past. What if actually this is the story, and, and that was the seed of, of, the, of the book that eventually uh, I wrote.
0: Well, you know, you you mentioned um, addiction, um, um, your own mental health issues, and and a suicide attempt. I'm I'm curious to kind of go back there. Yeah. Um, and just just kind of you know, help me help me and us walk us through that in terms of what, what brought you to that point, because that's where it seems where the running really came into play when you were in the hospital, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. So I'd coped with depressive episodes and depressive feelings uh, periodically since I was about 14, 15, but they'd always had these sort of periods of remission in between them and were always somewhat manageable. <clears throat> Something shifted in my late 20s, early 30s, where the depression, anxiety became way more severe, and um, there was seemingly nothing that could be done to alleviate that, became suicidal, attempted suicide, ended up in the psychiatric hospital in San Francisco. One day, uh, I was escorted with the other patients uh, up to the rooftop basketball court of the hospital. I knew that in a few short minutes, I was going to be back down in the locked unit, essentially incarcerated again for my own safety. And this impulse came over me uh, to run, uh, r- run right now. So I, so I did. I started to sprint back and forth. So it didn't alleviate the depression, uh, but there was a glimmer of something of coming into my body in the present. I'm not thinking about what happened twenty years ago in England. I'm not thinking about who am I. I'm think, I'm feeling. I am a, a physical organism moving back and forth. I am a, I am an, a, a, I am a mammal, I'm an animal with the capacity to move. And it was the beginning of a sort of glimpse of a different dimension of what it means to be an embodied human being that was totally separate from all of this sort of depressive rumination uh, that had been really kind of driving my, my sense of self for, for really forever.
0: So th- this voice that broke through when you were on that rooftop, do you have a sense of where that came from or whose voice that was? I mean, was that your inner voice? Was it a gift from the universe? Like, have you spent any time thinking about like where that voice came from?
1: I think it probably comes from, you know, unconscious but very early experiences of running, actually. So when I was a a, a little kid, I had been a runner but not in a, in a competitive way. Uh, you know, I you know, my little elementary school in Southern England, I answered the, you know, 80, 80 meter dash and probably did reasonably well for it, <laughs> given the low stakes, but it was, it was really about just the pure joy of doing it, of, of, you know, being in the fields of England and running back and forth and feeling that, that joyful capacity that we've probably all seen in, in, in children, right? When, they, when they're when they running, they're not running because they're aiming, well, most of them are not running to because they're aiming to accomplish something. They're running because it feels just great. And I sense it was some sort of reconnection with that that earlier part of the self that in some ways actually probably was prior to the, the traumatic experiences.
0: Got it. So it was kind of always, always kind of inside you this this enjoyment of of that activity was kind of always inside well walk me through how it helped you sort of recover from your time in in the you know the psychiatric hospital
1: yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there was some bits and starts there. So I got out of the psych ward. Uh, I then had the, the bright idea of, of becoming uh, extremely dependent on cocaine and methamphetamine, which I think, unfortunately, is often the pathway, right, for, for those of us covering, recovering from severe de- trauma and depression. You know, that unraveled pretty quickly. Uh, I, I, I um, got sober October 3rd, 2006. And you know, the experience of very early recovery from those drugs, in particular, drugs in general, is—I <clears throat> have to say—pretty horrific. I knew I had to do something, um, and again, I fell back on on running and I went down to the the beach here in San Francisco. Ran, you know, I was I was in terrible physical shape, very you know overweight, um, not not really um, in in good shape at all. But I ran. I don't know, maybe 20 minutes on the on the beach. And in a state where I was sort of absolutely consumed by drug cravings and feelings of self-loathing and shame, again, running pulled me into, you know what, all of that is true. And it's not a but, it's an and. And uh, I'm here right now, moving left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. I can hear the surf from the ocean. I can smell this the scent of you know, burnt firewood and kelp. Uh, I, I can feel the cold wind in my face. I can see a shooting star uh, and that is all true. And in fact, in some ways, maybe that's more true than whatever story is going on. And also just the, the on, a, on a feeling level, right? The, it interrupted the the cravings to go and use drugs again and, and gave me some way of generating, um, physical good feelings in the moment but you know actually sustained over time like through the day it would it would there would be a little afterglow and it turned out the the further i ran the the more that afterglow not only sustained but as this as we say you know eventually states become traits right there's a way in which that became available in a, in, a, in a more stable way for me
0: yeah And I mean but you didn't just start, you know, well, maybe you just started kind of running 20 minutes, but eventually you're doing these like ultra ultra distance races. Um, which for me, I mean, I'm I consider myself a runner. I run about five to six days a week, but the the longest I've ever run a race for was a half marathon. Mm -hmm. Um and I like my own mental break, not mental break, my own you know, this Mm -hmm. is the the muscle I've got to train more in that regard is is my mind and confidence, but I can't imagine running, you know, a hundred miles, 200 miles. What, 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 what was the appeal of that? Was it, was it, Hey, this makes me feel so good mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it's, 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 it's replacing my cravings for mm-hmm. these outside substances. Um, mm-hmm. what was the, what's the thought there? Because that's, um, you know, that's, that's, I just admire that so much. This <laughs> the ability to, to,
1: I think there's, there's many dimensions to it. I think that the two, the, the, the two most important that spring to mind is first of all, you know, you got a picture, um, you know, where I was back in say 2006, you know, I, uh, I'd recovered from a very serious, su- serious suicide attempt. I was in early recovery from drug addiction. I was marginally employed. I, I really didn't have any kind of direction um uh i didn't feel pretty good really good about myself in 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 the slightest what running first half marathon then marathon then longer provided was like oh this i can do this and this there was a there was a very i really needed to have something in my life where if i just put the effort in put the hours in there was a tangible uh, sense of reinforcement and validation that I was I was uh, competent and could accomplish things. So there was that. But the other thing I started to discover, you know, a few, a few I'd say like five or six hours into a trail run, there is a shift that occurs in the mind that is probably equivalent to you hear about the the um, the mechanisms for what happens to people in psychedelic psychotherapy right, or in pilgrimages, or, um, you know, (laughs) um, long-term meditation, where you enter a kind of trance state that um, once you get to the other side of that, there is a sort of reorganization of experience. Uh, It's hard to put into words, so that's really what the book is about, is how that was accomplished for me, but once I started to notice, like, oh, there is something really profound happening in kind of reorganizing and reprocessing my sense of who I am and my relationship to my past. Uh, I, ha- I had a sense and I'm, I'm now convinced actually that that, that 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 running is really powerful medicine in that sense. And that sort of waking dream that running provides can be transformative in, in general, but I think in particular for for trauma survivors or people recovering from other mental health challenges or addiction. Yeah,
0: yeah, I meant to ask you about the title, Running yeah. is a Kind of Dreaming. I think you were just kind of hinting at, at what that is, but just um, how, how did you come up with that title?
1: Well, so I'd had that thought for a while, that yeah, the, to, 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 in a nutshell, that there's this dreaming state we, we enter. I, I believe that in one of the many, many, many iterations of, a, of the proposal that I'd developed with my agent, back in around 2016, uh, where I talked a lot about the interconnections between uh, running and meditation and how running was a trance-like state that changed our memories and so on. That running running is is a kind of dreaming was either the second to last or last sentence in, um, in one paragraph. And and my my agent uh, Bonnie Nadell actually just highlighted that said, so, you know that that's the title and and she was I think insightful so I have her a thank for pointing me to that sentence as as a as a, a, a you know a, a powerful encapsulation of the real thesis of the book.
0: Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about the, the the process of of getting it published because I know the, you know started writing a memoir you know back in university days, um, your early 20s. When did you start picking it up again? And what was the the sort of the process to get it to where other people could read it?
1: Yeah, so I'd had this abandoned memoir. Um, I had gone to grad school where I'd written a whole um, range of very sort of technical scholarly papers about trauma and neuroimaging in the mind, I had that. Then once I was well on my way as an ultra runner, uh, you know, run some, I started to write these long, very, very nerdy blog essays about 100 milers where, you know, it probably had a readership of like three people or something like that. My, My ultra running friends who shared some of this strange overlap between running and philosophy or whatever. And then I got to the end of grad school and, you know, I was in a clinic working with with patients and thinking, you know, what I want to do next. You know, there's a range of things you can do as a psychologist. And I had this this aha moment one day in the clinic, actually, that as I was sort of alluding to earlier, well, what if all of these disparate parts of writing and myself, what if there is a through line? A, and and B you know what what I really want to accomplish now uh, as a cl- clinician um, psychologist what you know certainly there's, there's nothing wrong with with scientific publishing and I, I've certainly enjoyed reading technical books but but I, I did I had a, an intuition that there was there might be a way of uh, circling back to the memoir informed by, uh, real recovery, but also everything I knew as a, as a therapist and a scientist and you know having heard hundreds or if not thousands of stories from patients, not that I would ever use their stories, but seeing patterns that if I pulled all that together and, and just told my story again, uh, that that might be a, a, a powerful story for, for folks to hear. So I had that aha moment. I wrote maybe a one paragraph, outline uh that i sent to um bonnie nadal and uh uh she i will be eternally grateful for her uh, to her for this uh was like well that's interesting um and then talked to me on the phone for a while and um we went back and forth for actually a really long time uh iterating on how to turn uh, that aha moment of stitching together into actually stitching together. And it was it was not straightforward, as you might imagine. I would shift into very sort of technical wonky writing uh, and then go into sort of very personal stuff and kind of developing the capacity for the kind of voice that can move, uh, that is, it is centered in personal experience, but can also... Uh, sort of be informed by um, uh, scholarship in a way that hopefully is still inviting and still pulls you along the story that that required a a, a, you know a a tremendous amount of of iterating
0: how did did you know bonnie was your is your agent's name right yeah did you know her before this or did you just take a shot in the dark send a paragraph to somebody you didn't know and all of a sudden it, it sort of started that conversation because usually when I, when I talk to authors um, self included, mm-hmm. um, you're sending up 20, 30, 40, 50 query letters mm-hmm. to get someone's attention. It seems like yours, yours yours hit a bullseye right away. Well, I knew
1: I have a good friend, uh, J- Josh Davis who is an author who had been re- who had and is represented by her. And, you know I didn't really know people in the literary world. I'd had ai some attempts back in the day to contact people in London and, and everyone said you know oh this is very raw and personal and you know it's not ready for publication kind of. Um, I, I, so uh, my friend Josh had, had suggested well you could you could email it to Bonnie. Um, it wasn't lost on me, uh, and I hope she won't mind me saying this too that you know she is probably best known uh well at least very well known for having represented david foster wallace uh for for his career and and, you know and to some extent uh although uh you know he's a very different author in some ways he does i believe sketch out emotional conceptual territory that is overlapping so i had an intuition that she would be a receptive ear to my my aims here which I didn't think would necessarily be the case for any agent. I think that th- this topic in particular of suicide, understandably, uh, it is very hard for people to attend to. And, and, I, and I imagine it would be, would be challenging for many, for many agents or editors to, to wanna be signing up to, well, as you know, this isn't just a, a one and done, this is months and then years of, of being kind of intimately involved with an author as they as they kind of uh work on the story and that 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 is uh, w- w- would have been challenging so i was i was fortunate in 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 and finding that particular partnership
0: yeah that's it. i think that's an important thing for prospective authors um or prospective published authors to to get in mind uh to keep in mind which is that hey when when you're getting those rejection letters from agents um you know they are um they're not just cold and heartless. I mean, sometimes those letters are cold and heartless, mm-hmm. but, but you, know, you have to put yourself in their shoes and say, you know, they're, they're signing on for at least a 12 to 14 month commitment, working with you and helping you shape your story and getting it ready for, you know, sale publication, uh, and all that. So that's, I think that's an interesting thing to, to keep in mind that not, not many authors kind of talk about <laughs> a lot of them talk about, you know, how hard it was to find it, but, but, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. One of the reasons why I was so curious to to talk to you um, when when this opportunity came to me, uh, two reasons. Number one, running. Um, I've been a a runner. I started running cross country in high school and um, kind of had an on again, off again relationship with it uh, over my adult life. But the past three years or so, I've had a very on again relationship with it. Um, and, And a lot of it has to do with kind of my own mental health. And that, that is my time. It's like, usually that's the only time I get during the day. That's mm-hmm. really me where I can really disconnect and not be bothered by anybody. Um, but really it's, it's what was even more interesting to me than that was this focus on mental health. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's among men, mental health, mm-hmm. I get the sense anyway, it's not really talked about as much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit more taboo. Um, and I'm just curious as to, Do you see that changing? Um, Do you see the stigma around mental health and men changing at all? Or is it still very much there?
1: I I sense that the stigma around talking about mental health uh, in general, and for men in particular, there have been significant uh, positive and promising shifts over the last, say, 10, 15 years, um, my sense is that what remains really taboo uh, was part of the, the motivation for the book is to uh, address head on the experience of what it's like to be suicidal. <clears throat> we, we, we certainly encounter now in the, in the media, in the press, uh, stories of people who are coping with depression, substance use, anxiety, and so forth what what we have not yet really done I, I my observation is uh in, in a in a kind of thoroughgoing way is to create the conditions under which uh, those of us who have reckoned with suicidality uh feel that it's really possible to talk about that in an open and direct way it remains still uh cloaked with with uh, silence shame and, and stigma so that I think is the is the frontier here um uh, how things are changing I think ch- things how how things change is by people being willing to come forward and uh, and uh be vulnerable with what they've what they've been through and that was of course part of the, the motivation here so yeah things are in, in a nutshell things are changing a lot of work to do
0: yeah, I mean, men and vulnerability. Um, again, I hate to, to, to paint with too broad of a brush here. But I think culturally, um, it's, um, it's a difficult thing for us. I mean, I, I've, I, I struggle with being vulnerable with, you know, my, my wife, who I've you know been married to for 22 years, been together with for 30 years. There are sides of me that I hide from her, you know, just because it, it means me asking for help. Um, and that's, I mean, that's things that I need to work through and I'm not asking for your advice on that, but I'm just, I'm just sharing, um, you know, the vulnerabilities, it's a hard nut for, for us to crack.
1: It may well be that one of the things I got out of ultra running, and perhaps this is a case for other, other ultra runners, maybe even male runners in general, is that it does reduce you to a very vulnerable state where you do have to, you, you do have to learn to ask for help. You you have to, right? If you're you know, Of course, there are outliers who will go and run 100 miles or 200 miles with no support, right? But the rest of us are getting to a point, you know, mile 80 or something like that, where you have someone with you and you are reliant on that person. You get to an aid station, you're reliant on those volunteers. And uh, there is, there. I think there probably is something about the experience of, Inducing a kind of state of dependence uh, within within a sort of culturally and socially sanctioned context that could kind of train um, um, those of us who, as a result of our socialization, and I, and I probably share that with you, where you know it, we we were sort of told that you know boys don't cry or you know suck it up or uh, you know it's it's not you know you, you should be a leader or something like that learning learning that uh it's all right to cry right it's it sounds kind of corny but you know you'll get to a point on your marathon where you will be crying <laughs> and you know it, it's it's but it's you know often you'll be crying uh, with tears of of joy too because you, you realize that it's it's actually it's it's all going to be okay
0: yeah yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's just it's just the thought of an ultra marathon is just so overwhelming to me. But you know, I I do want to talk about um, I guess I do want to talk about that a little bit. Like, what's it like running an ultra marathon? And and do you have any, you know, any stories that that you'd like to share? Just uh, you know, any anything crazy things that have happened to you during ultra marathons or um just you know uh, complete yeah. disasters anything you feel comfortable sharing i'd love to hear yeah that.
1: well the i don't want to give too much away because i do people want to want to read the book and see yeah. how it knits together but there is a sort of pivotal point and uh, i ran in 2018 uh, i ran the tire 200 which is 205 miles nonstop on the mountain the steep mountain trails around Lake Tahoe, which is 40,000 feet of cumulative climbing. And so it was 96 hours of running with brief naps over those four nights. And you know by the end of it, on the fourth night, I, I think I did induce a kind of uh, psychotic state uh, where I got to the point where I um, was in, on this very, very, very steep, rocky trail where I couldn't really see because it was so dusty uh, and I didn't know how much further it was um, to get from here to even three feet away from me and I didn't want to be there and I started to have these thoughts that uh, somehow the, um, the organizers of the race had kind of deliberately designed this for me as a sort of prison (laughs) like i was in the i was in the matrix or something and it had all been put there and that somehow this involved actually creating the mountain uh like actually engineering this environment in a way that was uniquely designed for me to go through some sort of ordeal and th- then I actually checked myself. I right, had enough wherewithal to like, no, no, no. You know, these are those are psychotic thoughts. These are like, you know, this is sort of paranoid thinking that the, the external world is conspiring against you. The the organizer of the race had always said, like, if you start to hallucinate or really lose it, go to sleep immediately. Doesn't matter where you are, immediately. And so I, I was with my wife at the time. This is mile one eighty, and I was like, you know what? I have a seat right now i like hurled myself to the ground clutching her uh, closed my eyes this sort of maelstrom of crazy dream fragments flashed through my mind for 10 minutes uh, i woke up i was lucid again and um we we continued the final 20 miles uh to the end so yeah that was that was pretty out there
0: was your wife running next to you at this time or is she an well, ultra marathon or two or she is a runner. And
1: to be, to be put into perspective, you know, I, by that point, I would already done 180 miles and I was reduced to a hobble. uh, you know, to really put in perspective I, the last seven miles took me seven hours, uh, downhill. So I was moving one mile an hour and, um, Yeah. So uh, my wife was there as a a sort of shaman slash counselor slash um, guide and uh, um, very necessary emotionally and psychologically because I was in such a fragile state. But we were moving at a very, very moderate pace up. You know, this is up steep mountains for thousands and thousands of feet and then you go down down thousands of feet then you go up again and it goes on like that for days
0: well that i mean fascinating i mean i can't even imagine it but i mean what's the what's the the brain chemistry happening there i mean i i assume you you know a thing or two about it given yeah. your professional <laughs> there are some <laughs>
1: fascinating things that happen so this goes back to the basic thesis of the book running as a kind of dreaming the state that is induced uh in uh that state of overwhelm is one in which the top part of the brain the prefrontal cortex kind of essentially goes offline shuts down and you know the capacity to think clearly to do math that kind of thing you know, it's like it disappears altogether, but it's really uh, uh, suppressed uh, because the brain is a very smart organ and has figured out, you know what, we need to sort of preserve resources just moving forward because apparently this runner is just intent on just moving forward indefinitely. So that's one piece, prefrontal cortex becoming sort of, un, you know, hypoactive for a while. The the other piece is around the, the nature of the dream, the, the waking dream of running as a sort of healing process, which is to do with the effect of aerobic exercise on the creation of new brain cells and new neural pathways. So we used to think that you have this set of brain cells you're born with, and then that's it. They basically die off. But actually, it turns out there's a phenomenon it's called neurogenesis, where you can create new brain cells. One of the main mechanisms to do that is aerobic exercise, like running, it, and it actually creates new neurons, in particular in an area called the hippocampus, which supports memory. So, uh, running is really good for the brain. Running heals the brain.
0: Running that could be the name of your second book. Running heals the brain.
1: All right, I'll take it. Thank you. I'll give
0: I'll give that one to you. <laughs> <laughs> as we uh, as we wrap up here, I'm just curious. What what would you tell somebody? Let's say I'm I'm sure there are people out there struggling, especially in this you know, day and age where, you know, COVID is still a big question mark. Um, you know, people are still living under certain restrictions. There's a lot of fear out there. Um, you know, what would you, what do you hope that anybody who is struggling with feelings of hopelessness um, will, will take away from, from reading your book?
1: Mm. <clears throat> you know, what I, what I strive to create in the book is a story about really, it's like a descent into the underworld And and like all classic stories of a descent into the underworld, I think the reason we have those stories is to have a sense of kind of solace and company and know that whatever going we're going through however kind of bleak and dark it is. You can kind of have a sense that you know across the universe, someone else has been where you are, and there is a pathway out of this, so if you're feeling hopeless. I, I want I, I want people to know that, uh, that, that there, there is a pathway forward um, pragmatically I also wanted people to know that there are resources out there I have them on my website running as a kind of dreamingcom there are helplines available for people coping with suicidal thinking or depression or trauma right now um, but mainly I want people to feel company and solace as they travel with me on this path as I recreate it of going into the abyss of depression and moving out of it and knowing that you're not alone.
0: All right, so uh, less serious question here. Um, you're stranded on a desert island. Yeah. You could bring um, three authors with you, not the people, but their work, or uh, and or three uh, musicians or bands with you. Who, who's coming to the island?
1: Three authors and three bands?
0: And or, either or, okay. I'm just curious.
1: Uh, authors i would probably take um william shakespeare uh, he would he, he would be entertaining um i would take um who else would i take i would take ts Eliot uh, as a poet and if i get to pick one musician who would, uh, Prince.
0: Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a, a very, you know, n- not many people know how how musically oriented he was, but um, his guitar playing, man. I yeah. put him up there with Eddie Van Halen. I mean, I know that could yeah. be sacrilege to say, but he was just yeah. a, an amazingly talented musician.
1: He, I think he played, uh, he could play 14 instruments or something yeah. like that. He, he was an absolute virtuoso. He's like Mozart of our time.
0: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Um, and as a child of the 80s, I, I appreciate always appreciate a good Prince, uh, a good Prince reference. Well, J.M. Uh, Thompson is the author. We've been talking uh, about his life and and everything that inspired and led up to his new memoir, Running is a Kind of Dreaming, which is available for sale now. Uh, J.M., any advice on where people can pick up your book?
1: Uh, anywhere books are sold you can also go to my website running is a kind of dreaming.com where i have links to all the available retail sites uh, bookshop.org there's apparently a website named after a large uh, river in south america Uh, they sell books apparently uh, and and so forth
0: very good well thank you for taking uh, the time to chat uh, with me today jam and uh, all the best with your book
1: thanks so much for having me on your show it was a real pleasure.